I wonder how many of you have been hearing from God. Uh, I know some of you have because I've been hearing the stories, and it's, it's pretty cool. You know, we talked about uh, learning to hear from God. And uh, on Wednesday, I ran into someone who said, I've been in conversation with God since last Sunday. I thought that was amazing. We had another person approach Pastor R and say, uh, how can I help reimburse some of the people on the Houston team with their travel expenses? And it was because God was prompting him to do that. He's in conversation. We had, um, we had our, our Houston team actually be prompted to leave their work site, go somewhere else. And when they did, they found out that someone needed desperate help to start a generator, and they were able to do that. And it was because of following the prompting of God. Uh, we had someone wake up in the middle of the night and start praying, just fervently praying. praying. And the next day, uh, and praying for a specific person, the next morning she found out that the person she was praying for actually desperately needed her prayers. So we're doing amazing things. I want to hear more of that. I want to hear that happening all the time here with all of us. And so what I'm going to urge you to do is continue to do the things we talked about last week because that's the foundation we're going to build on today. And today we're going to wrestle with the concept of what do we do if God is being silent? How do I navigate this season of uncertainty? I'm struggling. Has God forgotten about me? How long do I keep waiting? I'm doing all the right things. And it's still not working out. I'm working really, really hard, and it's wearing me out. But I just can't seem to get ahead. I keep giving, but I'm not getting anything back. I prayed for healing. I wasn't healed. I prayed for help. I wasn't helped. I prayed for change, and nothing changed. How do I get God's attention on this thing that's eating me up on the inside? What should I do when it seems God is silent? Those are questions you've thought of in the past, or those are questions you're dealing with right now, and you've been asking those. This message today is specifically for you. But if there are those of you here who haven't had that, you're not navigating those deep waters, you're not facing those extreme circumstances, those questions don't apply to you, but you may know someone. We all do who's struggling, who's hurting, who's suffering, who's asking those questions, and you may be wondering, how do I help them? Well, then this message also is for you. So I'm going to encourage you to participate with me as we start to explore these things, these recommendations of how we deal with, that God, with, with God's silence. And if you were here last week, you know that when I say participate, that means you're going to engage with me. We're going to talk, right? That means when I ask you a question, you answer it. When I say put your hand up, you put your hand up. When I say something you agree with or you like, you nod or say amen. That's okay. And if I attempt to tell a joke, even if it's not funny, you at least smile. <laughs> Good? Let's, let's dig in. Point number one, when it seems like God is silent, we need to pray bigger, bolder prayers. Why? Well, let's look at the verse. John 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus wants to glorify the Father. That's what he wants. So when we ask God for something that is too small or too general, maybe God is asking you, how is this going to display my glory? 
If all your prayers came true right now today, would the world change or would it be just your world? Are we asking bigger, bolder prayers? You need to remember who you're talking to. You're talking to God. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, Moses, stretch out your hand and the sea parted. He said to Jesus on the third day, he said, get up and get out of this tomb. And he did. That's the God we're talking to. Look at Ephesians 3.20. This is the end of Paul's prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a bold prayer. Well, that's an ending. What I want you to notice is, how he refers to God, he's able to do so much more than we can even hope for and imagine. But the prayer itself, you should read it in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Read the whole prayer because he's being so bold. He's reminding people of God's glorious riches. And not only that, his prayer is that the people would learn to understand and use the power of how wide, how deep, how long, and how vast the love of Jesus is for us. That's a bold prayer. That's Paul's prayer. We should be praying like Paul. I think maybe God wants us to pray life-changing, awe-inspiring, hope-filled, faith-empowered, move-the-mountains type of prayers. Prayers like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be that heaven invades our earth. That's a bold prayer. I believe that's lacking in our Christian community today because I don't hear enough of it. And it's hard for me to find those illustrations. So I found some illustrations in the past. But, um, and, and I want to share with you a couple of, couple of figures in, in our history who were people of prayer, who had bold prayers. There was one person, uh, he prayed that the, uh, that the American colonies would gain independence and that there would be justice and liberty for all its citizens. He led the army. His name was George Washington. Big man of prayer. His journals, his prayer journals are so famous, so popular, and so inspiring. And, and one day he was uh, surrounded by the British, outnumbered three to one, no chance of survival. But he's a man of prayer. God dropped a fog over them and kept them hidden as they escaped. And he left that fog there until every man and all their provisions were left. And the, when the fog was lifted, the British saw that there was no one and nothing left. They would have lost the battle. That's a man of prayer. And he gave the glory to God. And then, and then there was this, this other guy. And uh, um, he prayed that slavery would, would be eradicated. Now, if we think that there's evil going on in this world, think about then. Because there was some serious evil going on in our world back then with slavery. His name was Abraham Lincoln, big man of prayer. He prayed daily, he prayed publicly, and he prayed in private, and he journaled his prayers. He prayed bold prayers. During his 49 months as president, nine times, he declared a formal call for the American public to fast and pray. Nine times in 49 months, he asked people to pray and fast. 
That's a man of prayer. And look at what he accomplished. And I wonder if the reason God didn't just rain fire on, on, on our country at the time when we would slave other men and, and, and torture them and, and make them work, I wonder, I wonder if it didn't happen because maybe there were some black slaves on these plantations who prayed bold prayers. And maybe they prayed, Father, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a bold prayer. Think of Jesus at the height of his torture on the cross. On the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's a bold prayer. That's a powerful prayer. Are we praying bold prayers? That's Abraham Lincoln. That's George Washington. And then there was Ronald Reagan. He was a man of prayer. On one of his most famous uh, speeches, he said, we will never abandon our belief in God. He actually fought Congress to allow for prayer in public schools and government offices. I met a man named Dan Quiggle. He had written a book. He was doing a book signing at the time when I met him. And he said, something people don't know is Ronald Reagan had a team of ladies uh, who would read all the letters that got sent to him. And he had given them permission to interrupt him if there was a letter that was urgent. So every once in a while, one of these ladies would bring a letter and say, President Reagan, you should see this. And he would read the letter and he'd go to his private office and he'd pick up the phone and he'd call. He'd say, hi, this is Ronald Reagan. I want to talk to Billy. And they would hang up and he'd call back. Please don't hang up. This really is President Reagan. I want to talk to Billy. Hey, Billy, I read your letter. I, w I called to pray with you. But before I pray with you, I want to know, do you believe God can heal you? That was Ronald Reagan. What if our president did that today? How great. What if that was our prayer? When it seems like God is silent, pray the kind of prayer that when he answers it, if he answers it, there's no doubt that the hand of God is what did it. No doubt. Pray bigger prayers, bolder prayers. That's point number one. Number two is enlist others to pray with you and for you. You know, in, in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, uh, verse 17, Daniel is facing execution. The king has asked something that's impossible. And the first thing he does is he goes to his friends. He says, pray. Pray for me. And they do. And, and God reveals that dream and the interpretation to him. I know exactly who I would call when I'm in a situation. I have people. I have two friends. Two friends who are prayer warriors. Instantly, anytime I just call them or text them and they're praying and I'll do the same for them. I want that for you. Do you have those people who pray with you and for you? Maybe that's your small group. That should be your small group. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, my middle son had an ear infection. And um, we, we thought, you know, it's just an ear infection. So it, it'll be fine. Kids get through ear infections. That morning I was at work. My wife texted me a picture of his ear, and there was all this blood. And I'm freaking out. Guess what I do? Hey, uh, Ken, Justin, we need prayers. You know what they texted back? I'm on it right now so then brandy called me from the doctor's office the doctor looked in his ear and she said it looks like the eardrum is sealed it's already healed you have nothing to worry about people in the bible whenever they wanted a miracle they prayed in groups 
Think about when um, in Acts 12, 12, when, when uh, Peter's in prison and people gathered in Mary's house, John's mother, and they all prayed through the night for him to be released and he was released. Uh, in, in Matthew, we read this, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, don't mistake this. This is not about prayer. There's no mention of prayer in this verse. Uh, in, in fact, God's talking about, uh, or, or uh, in, uh, Jesus is talking about, when there's a person in your church who's living in sin, we need to confront them and we need to encourage them for repentance. That's what this is about. But what I want you to notice is that it is important for God that we come together, right? We gather together and we are in agreement and we should apply that to prayer. In James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Praying together, praying for each other, absolutely powerful. See, God is not saying that he's not there when you pray alone. He's there when you pray alone. But you should ask others to pray for you and with you. Even Jesus took James and John and Peter when he went up the mountain to pray. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, it, I think it was about a year and a half ago, a member of our small group uh, was about to have very serious heart surgery. And it was his second surgery, and we were worried about him. And all of us went to his house, and we put our hands on him, and for over an hour we prayed out loud, asking God to intervene and to heal and to help and to be there. And afterwards, the doctor said the operation went so well, he was so impressed, it was bigger and better outcome that he ever expected. It was incredible. Pray together. Pray for healing. Pray boldly. That's, that's point number two. So when he's silent, you pray bigger, bolder prayers and you enlist your friends to pray with you and for you. Point number three is you need to fast to add power to your prayers. Fasting and, and prayer was so synonymous in biblical times that it was used interchangeably. It was synonymous. It's kind of like brushing and flossing. You can brush and that's effective, but if you brush and floss, it's a lot more effective. Make sure you're doing it. This is what Jesus said. He expected us to fast. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disguise their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says when you fast, not if you fast. And he's doing this, he's talking, he's teaching his disciples how to fast. Obviously, it's important. So I looked up Bill Bright, in my opinion, one of the most respected figures in Christian history. He, fa he started the uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And, and here's what he says about fasting. He said, fasting with a pure heart and motives brings personal revival and adds power to our prayers. That's what we want. Personal revival occurs because fasting is an act of humility. Fasting gives opportunity for deeper humility as we recognize our sins, repent, receive God's forgiveness, and experience his cleansing of our soul and spirit. So I read that, and I'm thinking, fasting is, is humility. That's kind of odd. How does that work? Is fasting a way for us to humble ourselves? Well, I looked it up in the Bible. In Psalm 35, it says, Yet when they were ill, I put sackcloth I put on sackcloth, 
and humbled myself with fasting. It's a biblical principle. In Ezra 8.21, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him. When you fast, you humble yourself before God. So is that good? Is that a good thing? Well, let's look into this. James 4.10, James said, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Peter said the same thing, 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. If you want to be lifted up, you humble yourself. How do we humble ourselves? We fast. There are other ways, but fasting is so powerful. The stomach is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Who do you want to be your master? You humble yourself when you fast, and you tell God that he is your master. Now, there, as a doctor, I can tell you there's medical benefits to fasting. It used to be in the old days, they used to say, oh, don't, don't starve yourself because starvation is bad and you don't lose weight. Starvation diets don't work. That's what they said, eat every two to three hours. Well, now, in the past two years, amazing medical research is coming out. It's incredible that actually starvation is good for you, that there are certain hormones that only get released in your body when you starve yourself. Those hormones reset your thermostat of weight loss. They bring your ideal weight to a lower level. It actually causes release of things like growth hormone, which is anti-aging. There's research and evidence that shows it reduces inflammation in your body. It's a state called ketosis when we, go, when we fast. And that reduces inflammation, which stops the pain of arthritis, which can send autoimmune diseases into remission, which can shrink tumors in cases. There, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of documented cases at Johns Hopkins where epilepsy was cured by fasting. So, when it seems like God is silent, you pray bigger, bolder prayers. You ask others to pray with you and for you, and you fast. So you have power in your prayers. Point number four, it's our last one. Trust that God's timing is always perfect. Look at Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. God's timing is always perfect. 2 Peter 3.8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. What's God talking about there? Believe it or not, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the fact that he's patient. He's talking about God's patience. God wants everyone to be saved. He wants no one to be perish, and he's going to be patient about that. That's what he's saying. And because God's being patient, what should we do? Should we be impatient, or should we be patient? Psalm 27 David wrote this when he was younger, when he was being uh, chased by Saul. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He said it twice. It's probably hard to wait. That's why he said it twice. I'm going to tell you a time when I was waiting. I was in my mid-20s and I was, I was wondering why I haven't found someone that I can marry why am I still single? And I told everybody to look for me. So they were all setting me on these blind dates, family and friends, just all these blind dates, awful, awful blind dates. And I'd go on these dates and within five minutes, I'm, this is not right. I'm not the right person for her or she's not the right person for me. This is not good. And all these dates and it wore me down and it got me tired. I went home uh, after one of these five-minute dates. You know, we just got coffee, sipped the coffee, said bye. Uh, I went home and I went in my room, shut the door and I started praying, God, 
See, I was angry. God, you said it's bad for man to be alone. Where's my wife? <laughs> you ever been angry? You kind of yell at God? I don't think he minds it. He, guys, he gets angry too. Um, it, it depends on where your heart is, right? And, and so, but I felt like God downloaded a thought in my brain. And here's the thought. And the only way I can explain it to you is if I give it to you in the form of a conversation. I did not hear voices. But this is the conversation. That God said, if you love someone, you adore someone, you, you really cherish someone in your life, you know them really, really well, you know what they want as a gift. And you know what they want as a gift for Christmas, let's say. But it's June, it's July, Christmas is so far away. But you love them so much, you know what they want, you run out and you get it. You buy it, you bring it home, you gift wrap it. You hide it in a closet, but you don't give it to them because it's a Christmas present. You hold it. And the whole time you're thinking, I can't wait. I can't wait to see her face when she unwraps this. It's going to be so good. And it's hard for you to wait and hold on to that gift. But you hold on and you wait because it's not a Christmas present until it's Christmas. And it's not special if it's not on a special occasion. So Amir, this is God telling me, Amir, I know your wife. I picked her out for you. She's your present. I gift wrapped her. I'm hiding her. I'm holding on to her. It hurts me more to wait than it hurts you to wait. I want to see you have her. So the question is, you want me to give her to you now? Or you want me to give her to you when the time is right? What do you think I said? I'm waiting. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on all that God has in store for me. I don't want to miss out on the good gifts that God wants to give me. And I want it to be special for the timing to be right. So two and a half years later, on December 16th of 2003, I was face-to-face -face with my wife, Brandy. Six, uh, nine months after that, we were engaged. Nine months after that, we were married. Why did God make me wait two and a half years? Because on November, in November of 2003, one month before we met, Brandy rededicated herself to Christ. He said, Lord God, I'm coming back to you. I want to be yours. I want you to pick my husband. And I'm okay if he's a Christian. <laughs> Was it worth the wait? I'm going to play a video for you because... I want you to also think about this. Sometimes it is to your benefit that God is silent. It is to your benefit that God is silent. So when you watch this video, imagine you're the child and God is the woman. Watch this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your path. Sometimes when God is silent... He's actually asking you a question. The question is, do you trust me? But God, I just lost my job. Do you trust me? I lost my home, God. Do you trust me? I'm sick. The doctor says it's not looking good. Do you trust me? My marriage is on the rocks. Do you trust me? I have an addiction that's eating me up on the inside. Do you trust me? I'm heartbroken and discouraged. Do you trust God? This, a survey was asked of people, and they asked, what is the best thing that ever happened to you? And you would think these people would say, oh, it was when my kid was born or when I got married or when I was saved. Number one answer, I Googled this this morning. 
Just you Google it yourself. You'll see. Type in blog posts, best thing that ever happened to me. You know what people said? Number one answer, cancer. Cancer was the best thing that happened to me. Heart attack was the best thing that happened to me. Going to prison was the best thing that happened to me. My mental illness was the best thing that happened to me. That's what people are saying. Becoming homeless was the best thing that happened to me. So here's a bold prayer for you. Because you're going through this. And you're hurting. Here's a prayer. Not only ask God to remove the illness, to remove the troubles, to heal your heart. But say, God, use my brokenness, my disease, my cancer, my trauma, my abuse, my addiction. So that one day I'll be able to say this was the best thing that ever happened to me. Ultimately, we don't know why God is silent. But we always know there's a good reason he's silent. So when he is being silent, what you do is you raise your level of prayer. You ask bigger, bolder prayers. You ask people to pray with you and for you. You fast so you can add power to your prayer and trust him. And trust that his timing is always perfect. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God. We love you, and we thank you, and we trust you, and we praise you. We, we want to honor you, and we want to glorify you. We give you our hurts, our suffering, our pain. We, we say, God, use it for your glory. Thank you for that. God, there are people here who haven't declared you as their Savior. There are people here who haven't proclaimed you as God and King, that Jesus died for their sins and rose and was resurrected for them. God, we ask that you would talk to them today, soften their hearts, and bring them Bring them to repentance so that they would accept Jesus as Lord. They would confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that Jesus was resurrected. And Father God, I pray for everybody else, those who are hurt and suffering, that you would put a healing hand on them, that you would surround them with people who have overcome what they are dealing with so they can be a testimony to you, so they can see that example of how powerful, how mighty and awesome your hand is, that your love is deep and wide and high that no one can fathom. God, we trust you. We thank you. We pray for your presence and your hand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that first prayer, you have a connection card. Check off the box that says, I made a decision today. And you turn it in to us so we can pray with you. Thanks for everything, guys.